Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Masters of the Matrix. I'm Greg M. Today, I have with me Jennifer Moore, who is the author of the book Empathic Mastery. She's a podcaster, intuitive empath, the founder of Empathic Mastery Academy. She's a master EFT trainer and even has created two of her own Oracle decks. Absolutely wonderful. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Thank you so much, Greg. I'm really thrilled to be here. We definitely have a lot to talk about. We do. Um, <laughs> and so getting right into it, what yeah. is an empath and how did you find out you were one? Ah, uh, so first off, I just want to acknowledge that right now the word empath is a buzzword. It's everywhere. And so you got, you know, people who think that an empath is somebody who feels mildly sensitive when somebody's having a bad mood. And there's, you know, like an ex absolute extreme of it. So the way that I personally define the word empath is that an empath is a person who is picking up and absorbing the thoughts, the feelings, the energy, the sensations, the pain, the struggle, all the things that are coming from the world around them. And what makes an empath very specifically an empath and not an intuitive, a psychic or a medium, is that where psychics, mediums and intuitives are picking up information, but they know that that information is coming from outside of themselves, like they're receiving the information, but there's a sense of separation. What happens to empaths is that we process all of the information that is coming in as if it is our own. And so what makes being an empath incredibly challenging is that when, say, for example, a friend is sick and is worried about a diagnosis or something, all of a sudden we might be finding ourselves worrying about a diagnosis or worry, being like, oh, my God, I might have cancer. And and not realize until we have a conversation maybe days later that we were picking up on the distress that a friend was going through and essentially thinking their thoughts, but thinking them as they are their own. And so my so basically my perspective and definition of an empath is a person who is picking up the thoughts, feelings, energy, sensations, et cetera, et cetera, from the world around them. It could be people, it could be animals, it could be like the rocks, the plants, the insects, the creatures that are around us. It's not just limited to human beings and processing it or experiencing it as if it is our own stuff. And in my experience, this is on a spectrum where you could have your absolute, you know, like devoid of any empathy whatsoever, kind of like sociopath on one side of the spectrum. And then you've got the extreme empath on the other who could be picking up so much information that it is not just coming from the present moment or their sort of immediate circle of friends and family, but who is picking up on things that are coming from the past, coming from the future, picking up on things that are going on either uh, could even be picking up on things that are going on like regionally, uh, like, like nationally, globally, and sometimes even galactically. And so depending on the level 
of sensitivity, it can be extremely hard to be an empath because you don't know what end is up. And we live in a culture that I don't know about you, but I, I mean, I'm imagining this is probably true for you because I've heard it from so many sensitive people over the years. It's like most of us were told there was something wrong with us for feeling such extreme feelings and that we were overreacting, that we were taking it too personally, that we were, you know, being too sensitive, that we just needed to let it go, that we needed to stop worrying about it, stop thinking about it. And so what this, what happens with this is that it really makes it hard when all these feelings and energies and awareness is coming through, when we are constantly doubting ourselves and constantly thinking there's something wrong with us for feeling this way. So that is my, I don't know, like my, like my hundred dollar answer for you right there of what is an empath. I love it. So you must have experienced this early on because you don't just become an empath in your teens. You're born an empath. So well, you know, do- it, it, it's interesting because I've had a conversation. This is the second time somebody has been talking about being a born an empath. And on one level, I absolutely agree that some of mm-hmm. us are born an empath. But I'm also seeing a phenomenon happening right now where a lot of people who were able to compartmentalize their sensitivity are awakening to their empathic abilities right now. That because of the crisis we've been in as a planet for the last like two and a half, three years, and, you know, really in some ways kind of since the uh the presidential election of 2016 stuff has been heating up on this planet and there's been in the United States and, and that there's been a certain amount of stress and like with the me too movement rising up and all of these things that are coming to the surface, I am actually seeing people who did not identify as empaths and who did not necessarily have that level of sensitivity that that somebody like I imagine you and I have had since we were born. I'm actually seeing certain people who are actually starting to like they can no longer drown out the noise. They cannot push it like it's like there's no compartmentalizing it. So while I was born this way, and I imagine you were born this way, I am actually seeing people who are awakening to it, not not like being like this. But as you as you surmised, I was absolutely born this way. I I started out highly sensitive, constantly sort of waking up feeling out of sorts and not really sure why I was feeling the intense emotions that I was feeling. And it was, and I was nine when I had my very first prophetic dream, when I, um, when I dreamed that my mother died the night that my very first best friend's mom died. And I always knew that there was a connection. There was a correlation between this. Like I understood, like I did not have a random dream. This piece of information came in, but this is an absolute example of the way empaths work. I didn't dream about her mother dying. I dreamed about my mother dying. And, you know, I understood that there was an aspect of propheticness to it, but I also understood that it was coming through the filter of my empathic experience. 
when I really started to grasp what it meant to be an empath, I mean, my first exposure to it was the original Star Trek episode, you know, the empath that's I if you I, I don't know if you ever saw it, but it stars, you know, Kirk, McCoy and Spock land on a planet. And there's this empathic woman who ironically happens to be named Jem, which is my initials. And Jem, like they throw, you know, the, the mean aliens torture McCoy's Kirk and Spock and then Jem is sort of thrown into the room to help them to heal and that was my first exposure to what it means to be an empath and while consciously I wasn't like I am that unconsciously I identified with her and I also saw how she was doing healing work and it was the first lesson I learned in what you're supposed to do as a healer which came out which unfortunately meant that I was learning to absorb all the pain take it into my own body take a hit from it and then transmute it from that so that was my very first sort of encounter and then there was like space 1999 with Maya who was the shapeshifter but also kind of an empath and then of course in the next generation we have Deanna Troy who is an example like who really started to take what does it mean to be an empath to a whole new level but I was about 17 when I encountered another person who identified as an empath and we were having a conversation and he was the one who first looked at me and said, you are just like me, you are an empath. And we were sort of, you know, at the time I was during my, this was my glorious misspent youth. We were fairly stoned and I, but I just remember this awareness of like he and I together were like this hall of mirrors where we were just reflecting endlessly what was going you know like on either side of it so I was very lucky in many ways because I had labels for it I had an understanding of it very early on and considering that I mean I was a young I was a young adult in in the early 80s it's kind of a miracle that I was already understanding that my high being highly sensitive was deeply affecting me. That's that's amazing. You know, and what you mentioned, or just stepping back a few moments about, I always thought it was people were, were born into it, but it's, you bring up such a great point about, you know, I think with the awakening of the world and perhaps these energy centers in us are now being opened um, through some sort of uh, transformation energetically, because you know, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think people that are empath, empathic, like like ourselves, we can relate to people. But you know, I, I was I didn't know how to deal with this stuff, uh, especially as as a, a boy growing up, um, being forced into sports and being forced to being an athlete. And I, I loved playing with crystals and pyramids and magnets. That was my passion when I was in, in, in a youth. So I had to like bundle all this up luckily i had a really great mom that i could kind of share a little bit with but my my dad was very you know controlling in that way so it, it was very hard for me to to figure out where all these feelings were why am i so like feeling so heavy and actually i'm gonna say i'm quite feeling heavy today like mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. like i don't know if it's there's something like going on collectively um mm -hmm. but there's days like this i have they don't happen too often but today is a specific day where yeah, i'm feeling yeah. um like actually emotion even emotionally um sort of heavy like where i feel if i really sit here there could be a lot of emotion coming out of me so um what do your what's your take on that so in my experience so first off 
In my experience, you know, there's the heaviness that's ours. <laughs> and when it's like there may be something that is coming up to be healed, maybe there is something that kind of got triggered by some kind of an event or some kind of conversation or some situation that sort of has kind of dysregulated our own nervous system and set us off or maybe triggered something that's deep and underneath the surface that we've got to heal. Um, but then there's also those days where we wake up and we just feel out of sorts and wonky and heavy where it's like, this doesn't make sense to me. Why am I feeling this way? And in my experience, most of the time when I'm having one of those days where I'm feeling that sort of really kind of unidentifiable heaviness, it is usually empathic overwhelm. And it is often either that I'm picking up on something that is going on currently in the world around me, has happened in the past that I am picking up on, or it is also not uncommon to be sensing or picking up on waves that are coming from the future that are going to be sort of cresting and hitting. And over these last two and a half years, especially, I have a network of other, you know, of clients and other highly sensitive empathic sisters and friends and mentors and just all and colleagues and all kinds of people. And I we so we sort of check in and go, have you been feeling it? Are you feeling like the rumble under your feet? Are you feeling the ripples that are coming? And frequently we will be in the same, we will all be picking up on it around the same time frame. What I have noticed is that depending on sensitivity levels, depending on proximity to something, depending on association with something. Some of us might be picking things up a couple weeks in advance. Some of us might be picking things up a couple months in advance. Some of us might be picking something up a couple days in advance. I, um, some of us might not pick it up until it's really right there and happening. But that a lot of times that heaviness is sort of an in indication of something on, on the way at least in my experience. So a lot of times for me, that experience is kind of a like buckle up buttercup. It's going to be an interesting ride for a little while here. So I don't know <laughs> if that's that, if that you can relate to that or if that makes sense. I absolutely can. I, I do definitely feel it's, it's a, a psychic sense. Yeah. Now, speaking yeah. of that psychic sense, where is the empathic energy center? Is that the solar plexus or is that the, the sacral or... Because you know, yeah. when I'm feeling this, it's it's an like I feel I've always been emotional, right? So my emotions right. are always in my stomach or in my solar plexus. Is that like that for everybody? No, it's not. And um, so what I've noticed is that element that there's a sort of correlation in my experience between sort of, um, you know, if you think in terms of zodiac signs and kind of like you've got the fire, you know, the air signs, the fire signs, the water signs and the earth signs, there's also kind of a correlation between these elements and how different empaths experience things. What I would say is there's a couple things. I think that your my immediate answer is the empath center is the entire body. Like it is every single chakra. It is the entire system. Every one of these systems within us can be picking up information. I've also found that empaths will often pick up information through the dominant sensory awareness of the world or the people around them. So where more like a medium or a clairvoyant or a psychic will often pick things up, 
or I've said clairvoyant, but, you know, psychic medium or um, intuitive will be picking things up through their dominant clair. So if somebody's a very visual person, they might be picking things up through a visual, a visual channel. If somebody's a very, um, you know, auditory person, they might be clairaudient and picking things up through the clairaudient channel. What I have found to be true for empaths is that we often will receive the information through the clair that is around us or through the dominant sense that somebody has with them. And so how we receive information, there's like our truth in our own body, but then there's also the impact or the influence of other people. So that's part one of this question, because this is a big question. But to go back to talking about the elements, what I have noticed is that empaths manifest sort of empathic overwhelm or distress in different ways. You have your air empaths and air is the, is the element that rules thought and, and thinking and ideas. And so air, air empaths are more likely to be very mentally anguished. They're much more likely to be perseverating. They're much more likely to be awfulizing and projecting into the future. I have um, a, an Aquarian mother who was a world-class awfulizer and who um, was, an, you know, and as an Aquarian earth, you know, air sign, very much an air empath, you know, very much, very much all about like, you know, it's like, like my mental chatter 24 seven. Then you've got your fire empaths, which a lot of times because our society tends to encourage boys to be more physically active, you'll see a lot more of the fire empaths in males than in females. But Fire is all about action. It's all about, um, you know, movement in the world. And so that can manifest in the appearance of like ADHD, but particularly from a sort of more kinesthetic, like hyper kind of behavior. And so a lot of times the fiery empaths are going to be expressing their empathy or their empathic overwhelm in a very kind of fiery way. They might act out a lot more. They might have a lot more temper tantrums. Um, you know, I know a couple friends with children who of fire empaths and it's like these children are forces to be reckoned with but don't cross them because they are gonna really like they they will let you know what's what water empaths which i think is more the kind of empath we imagine as kind of the dominant empath in the world water rules emotion the subconscious the feelings the intuition and so water empaths tend to be the ones that i think we think of as the classic empath the one who is feeling all the feelings um, you know, doing like, like all in their heart, all in their solar plexus, although fire empaths can have a lot of stuff in their solar plexus as well, but just really feeling all of that kind of deep emoting feeling. And a lot of times watery empaths will very much pick up on, on those emotions and like, especially when I was a child, it was kind of like, stop the world. I'm having a feeling like feelings can be very, very challenging. And then the final element of, of the earth element are the empaths who tend to manifest things very much in an embodied way. So they are the ones who often will have that gut experience where they have digestive distress, where they are experiencing like, a, you know, even like IBS or a lot of food allergies and food sensitivities. Maybe they get physically sick quite a bit. Maybe they experience a lot of, you know, debilitating exhaustion. And so 
I've seen it show up in all of these different ways. And the thing is, it's not like, oh, I'm this one thing. Again, because of the way empaths tend to be sort of, it's like we are we are a mirror that reflects what's coming that is that that if we do not choose the frequency that we are broadcasting on our mirror we basically will just reflect whatever is coming at us and so you know within this in my experience while there may be a dominant sense sensory awareness, a dominant clair, and a dominant sort of element of how we manifest as an empath, there is also usually an integration where you're kind of a mixture of these things, not just one. So long, long answer. That, that, you know what? That makes a lot of sense because that was what I was going to get into because I'm a, I'm a water sign. And so I mm-hmm. feel very, very deeply, but I also feel it in my stomach. Yes. So I, I get that feeling of uneasiness or uh, just unsettling feeling. And even when I was in my teens, I developed an ulcer because of the stress that I took on. I didn't know how to release it. And so mm. you'll get an ulcer when you're, when you're a teenager is a very strange thing, but that's how energy works. If we're not able to resolve things, then it's going to come out in very strange ways. Um, but our bodies are a map, so we can find the ways uh, out of it, luckily. So one thing I want to note, uh, I want to note is that Regarding men and empaths, I consider myself for sure an empath, but I know if I think about my friends or family, um, you know, I, I can't imagine them being empathic unless they're very good at hiding it. What's your experience with men and the, the empath? So, you know, interestingly, like reading some of this stuff, like like some of the stuff that Elaine Aaron writes about with highly sensitive people, you know, she talks about the fact that it is equally like highly HSPs are equally dispersed between the genders. And I and and, you know, my sense of it is that if 10 percent of the population are highly sensitive people, then maybe 10 percent of the highly sensitive people population could be considered empaths. So maybe like about one percent of the population is empaths. Now, I mean, there's no way to quantify this. There's absolutely no way to say, you know, one percent of the population are, quote, empaths, unquote, or extreme empaths. But my personal theory, and I love that we're talking about gender, and I love that we're talking about, but especially not just gender, but being socialized as either male or female, you know, females are encouraged to be, you know, many of the qualities of an empath are encouraged within females. We are raised to be concerned for other people. I mean, the first toy we're given is a doll, you know, we're given a baby to take care of the baby. Like that's the thing we're given. You were probably given a truck. You were probably given, or maybe you were given like a fake gun or you were given, or if you are like every other two-year-old boy I've ever seen in my life, you picked up a stick and you started pointing it at people. Um, I, I just, I don't know, like I have never met a little boy who doesn't pick up a stick and point it at people at some point. I think it's evolutionary. But, you know, the thing is that I think we socialize, we are so socialized as females to identify with and to access to like cultivate empathy, to cultivate compassion, to to become people pleasers, to be super nice, to be super good, to suppress our feel our, our anger and any negative emotions. And so 
I think females appear to be more empathic than males do a lot of the time, but also that so often you were socialized to suppress your feelings, to push them down, to deny them. I mean, big boys don't cry. Like how many times were you as a child, I mean, you said it, you were pushed into sports, you were told to ignore your love for minerals and gems and stones. Your mom was supportive, but your dad was kind of like a dude. And so I think that there are some of us who are just so sensitive, like we are the Rudolphs of, you know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeers of the world, where we are recognized by our peers as outliers and where we just don't get to fit in. But what I've seen is that I think a lot of males in particular, they find a way to stuff it. Like they find a way to be, to follow the set of rules, but also depending on the family system, there may be no emotional intelligence within the family system. There may be no support for what we are feeling. And so what I've noticed is that empath, empathic men often tend to express their empathic stuff if they have not done their work as emotional outbursts as opposed to expressing it from a place of I'm picking up on this thing and sensing it. Because what I've seen is that males are not necessarily taught in our culture to have emotional intelligence or to have emotional self-awareness. And and if anything, they're taught like, you know, feelings are for girls. They're sissy. You know, you don't be a sissy. Don't feel your feelings. And so as a result, what I've seen is that empath male empaths and i believe that we are i do believe that it's not like just females are empaths i really believe that we're equally divided um you know on the spectrum um but what i what i really do think happens is that many male empaths manifest it in other ways than their own than they even are being able to articulate or recognize their feeling of feeling because they've feelings have been so externalized that it shows up as it shows up as getting pissed at the television set for a football game that's not going the right way or getting you know picking a fight and getting into an argument about the dishes or just sort of or or going like getting really agitated and anxious and going for like multiple, you know, like just like feeling like the need to go play sports or something like that. So I, I believe that many of the men in your life, if you look at their behavior, it's like maybe looking at even it's like if you have somebody in your life who's kind of acting illogically, like, you know, it, behaving in sort of like outbursting, what if this is their empathic overwhelm manifesting in an unconscious way? Because I think that, and I do think that's unfortunately you guys, because of the socialization to stuff your feelings even more than we were socialized to do, it's, there's like, you have more hurdles to overcome to get in touch with your feelings and recognize what's going on than females, female empaths do. Absolutely. That's a, that's a great, um, a great answer. Now, do you think that like there is an awakening in in the male side of being more open 
to emotions and dealing with emotions? And is there a way that say, you know, the old dogs, so to speak, that have been sort of trained to keep their emotions in, is there a way that we can either deal with them or help them sort of be more open and uh, uh, sort of in that flow of things instead of so rigid or do we just have to be who we are and just allow so i want to talk i'll talk about my dad you know um so my dad my childhood narrative about my father was that he was a really emotionally unavailable pretty shut down person and interestingly, he struggled, he, he endured a very severe frontal lobe brain injury at the age of four. He fell out of a moving car. And in many ways, as I, with my understanding of neuroscience and my understanding about brains and everything now, I'm kind of blown away by how functional he actually was because he really, like he took a major hit at a very young age, but probably because his brain was plastic for a four-year-old brain, it, it kind of compensated. But my father, you know, was a very, like he was not very articulate. Part of it was frontal lobe injury. He wasn't very articulate. He didn't really know how to express his feelings. He certainly did not know, know what to do with a very verbal, very emotional, very, very um, creative and just like kind of like you know, like more than one per, you know, just like I, like I'm, I'm kind of like two people packed into one. I'm actually, um, I actually had two placentas on my umbilical cord and I, I personally suspect that I'm kind of an assimilated twin. So, you know, I was a bit of a handful for my dad and there was a lot of friction between he and I for, from, you know, from through my childhood into my young adulthood, well into my like thirties, and beyond where I was just really disappointed with how emotionally unavailable and shut down he was. And it, it wasn't until I'd actually been married for a couple of years that I really started to appreciate a lot of the things about him, about his, appreciating his loyalty, appreciating that his love language is acts of service. And that was the way he expressed love to the world and recognizing a bunch of things about him. But the other thing that happened for me was that I decided to stop fighting. I decided to stop trying to get him to be something he wasn't. And I just started to love him for who he was and accept him for who he was. And the last, my dad died in 2020, um, actually from COVID. So if if somebody's listening and you're like, I don't know anybody who died from COVID, now you do. But when my dad, my dad was, I mean, at that point in time, you know, dementia had really taken him, taken him from us. And he was, he was quite, he was in his late, in mid, he was like 86. But I would say that the last like 15, you know, 15, 20 years of his life, after um not quite 20 years but sort of the last 15 15 to 17 years of his life my relationship with him changed entirely and i really got to see his softness i really got to see the places with him within him that were 
his humanity, his ability to be loving, his ability to be kind. And I really started to appreciate him. And what I found was that my perspective of him, my perception of him, my understanding of him really changed. And so I guess what I would say is what I believe we can do is accept them exactly as they are, accept that maybe they're going to get it in this lifetime and maybe they're not, but that it's not our job to awaken them. It's not our job to do anything other than love and accept them for who they are and try to find the things that we love about them. Try to find the things that we can appreciate about them because there are things that are pretty spectacular about about these old guard men that are, you know, kind of like we're talking like, you know, at this point in time, like maybe there's a few kind of world, like, I don't know, sort of like World War II veterans that are still alive. But for the most part, we're talking about, you know, like these, these, these depression era, depression era men raised, you know, Korean War, maybe Vietnam War, but who really like, God bless them, they went through so much. And all at the same time being like sold this bill of goods that they're supposed to behave like Ward Cleaver or father knows best. Great answer. I, I really love that. And so, so it's almost like time. We have to allow them to experience what they came here to experience. And it's yeah. almost like over time they start to soften. They start to realize that maybe it's not what I thought it was. And we just have to be there and allow that to happen. So on the flip side though, how do we get people to understand the empath? Huh. <laughs> um, so, so on the flip side, how do we get them to understand the empath? So, so actually this really fits into the thought that I had, which is that what we are talking about feels to me like it's so much bigger than the non-empathic old guard and versus the empath. What it really comes down to in my experience is love and acceptance of what truly is. And what I have found, and this in my experience goes into a much broader category because it goes into the category of healing. What I have found over and over and over again is that what we resist persists and what we love and accept has an opportunity to breathe and has an opportunity to transform into what it is supposed to be and frequently burns off like fog in the early morning sun. That when we lean into the distress, when we lean in with love, that there's this amazing way that things find their rightness. And so what I would say about this is that that willingness to accept things as they are, to accept the old guard, you know, good old boy network, you know, just suck it up, you know, get over it attitude, all that stuff. Like that if we can just love them where they are, that miracles can happen. But what I would say in regards to empaths is in my personal experience, the way that other people came to understand or accept me as an empath was only because I came to understand and accept myself as an empath. And so what I would say is that don't worry about anybody else. Focus on yourself. Because if you're not accepting yourself for an empath and you are looking for external validation and you're looking for somebody else to get you, you're still looking, you're still not getting yourself. You're still not affirming your truth. 
And the thing is that in many ways, in my experience, the challenge for many empaths is all about boundaries. It's all about what is our yes? What is our no? What are we willing to do? And where are we giving away our energy, our resources, our power? Where are we being emotionally available in places where we should not be? And what what I really think is that when we know our truth and we know ourself and we can set boundaries in a really grounded, unflappable, calm, and yet firm way, then it's sort of like we don't necessarily need other people to understand us or to give us like a pass because we're giving ourselves that pass. We are acknowledging it. And, And then, you know, I mean, At this point, I've been sort of out of the closet as an empath for such a long time that pretty much everybody knows me this way. And also, um, like, like most of the people that I'm around are like this too. So, you know, it's sort of, but it's come from my own ownership. So does that make sense? How's that for an answer? Uh, Absolutely wonderful answer because it's, it's about, looking within and 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 not looking for validation out there and which is i'm sure a lot of empaths do in the beginning of their journey because they don't know what's going on they're looking for answers they're saying to other people who am i and who am people, i and these other people don't know who they are but they may guess and they might lead them on right. the right or wrong path well and so often the thing about being an empath is that especially if you're growing up in a dysfunctional family system or you're growing up in an environment where you've got people with really big emotions I've definitely noticed that a lot of empaths grow up with empath with narcissistic parents very frequently narcissistic mothers and so the thing is that a lot of times we don't even know who we are or what we are outside of a family system where we have become the designated emoter and where we are expressing feelings that aren't even ours. And so like that journey of recognizing ourselves is such an incredibly important part of the journey. Some of it comes from uh, being able to get some distance from the family systems and being able to start asking ourselves, what is it that actually, like, what do I love? What excites me? What are the things that really matter to me? I love that. And and you know, what, what kind of comes to mind is, is a lot of our youth and with the amount of pressures that are being faced by our youth in, in modern times are absolutely astronomical. Things that I never had to go through, but the things that they're going through. So you tied that in with them being an empath. They're probably, they could be so confused and so lost and so not confused. knowing where to turn. You know, so I have a colleague who is an, an, another EFT trainer, um, my colleague, Laurie Lamont. And Laurie and I were having a conversation a little while ago where we were talking about an observation that she had. And then I was like, oh my God, this totally correlates with looking at this lost generation of people who were essentially either like in utero during 9-11 or at 9-11 or were like anywhere between the ages, like infancy to like their mid-teens, but especially like 
nine and under. And what she was observing is that there is this lost generation right now who were so young, the trauma of 9-11 was so dramatic and radical, especially here in the United States, that there's this entire generation of, of kids who kind of got, got thrown out of, like they just got really like completely discombobulated. And what I find fascinating is that, so I've got four nephews and only one of them, one of them was in utero when 9-11 happened. Two of them had been born, were like five, like maybe two and a half or three and five when when the, the Twin Towers were hit. And then one nephew was born a couple of years after 9-11. The ways in which the three nephews who were who were either one in utero and two alive, but the ways that those empath, those children, those young men experience the world, they have struggled with like adulting, with figuring out who they want to be when they grow up, like navigating the world in a way that interestingly, the youngest who did not go through that is like like he's free and clear, like he's not carrying the same level of trauma. And Lori was the first one to talk about this because she was like, I'm seeing this phenomenon of this whole like, like generation of children, um, you know, and a lot of these people are kind of like right now they're ranging between like, I mean, 9-11 happened 21 years ago. So they're ranging between the ages of like maybe 20 at the, you know, like in utero, you know, but like 20, 20, like 21 to like 31 or maybe 35 who are struggling because of this experience, but especially the ones who are kind of in that like 10 year range, like, especially like the ones who didn't even have their, um, their adult teeth. I can't think of the, you know, but like they didn't have, like they were still like in their baby teeth like emotionally, this just affected them. So I know that, I mean, you know, and then you start thinking about, like, I'm talking about one phenomenon that's impacting this generation. Then you start looking at social media and, um, you know, like the pandemic and looking at like Black Lives Matter and Me Too movement and all of the other things that are happening and like the wars that are going on everywhere. And it is just absolutely mind-blowing it breaks my heart in many ways to think about what this new generation is contending with and is and and is looking at and yet in some ways perhaps this is also they will be the ones who say yeah no no more this has got to stop. We're not going to keep playing this. You know, we are not going to keep cre careening into our destruction as a species. Absolutely. And, and you know what? Um, I have a, a niece and I, I know that she's an empath. I, I don't think she knows this yet. So she's no. growing up very emotional, um, just very confused about the world, about her identity, about her place in it. And on, on top of that, you know, she's an empath. So she, like probably a lot of the feelings she's feeling aren't even hers. Aren't so even hers. When you when you say to someone, you know, you, you're probably an empath. You're feeling feelings that aren't yours. Well, how how do they determine what's theirs and what's someone else's? What are some practical ways? Thank you for asking that question. So, so 
and and what I want to say is that personally, I developed what I discovered and I developed the Empathic Mastery System, which is a five-step system, because what I realized is that putting up a bubble of light and just sending love and light to something and trying to like, you know, build up your filters and shields is not an effective way to handle being an empath. The problem with if you just bubble up and put a ball of light up around you, if you're already have you've already absorbed a bunch of stuff and you're carrying other people's distress. The problem with that is that it's kind of like putting all that stuff into a pressure cooker or a bell jar where you are putting the bubble over distress. And what happens is then that distress just kind of gets amplified within, but it also compromises our filters and shields and kind of weakens the whole system. I actually believe that part of the reason for that is that it's not, you know, the internal distress is going to break down the filters and shields from the, you know, from the inside out because that stuff has got to go somewhere. So the first step that we all need to take is, you know, in the system I have is recognize, release, protect comes the third step is protect, connect, and then act. So recognize, in my experience, has three layers to it. The first level of recognize is recognizing ourselves and being able to start recognizing what we are feeling, recognizing when we are having an emotion, recognizing what's actually going on for us and being able to recognize when we wake up with that feeling of heaviness, wake, you know, recognizing when we're feeling a sense of sadness, recognizing when maybe we're experiencing a food craving or something, but being able to recognize oh, I'm not just on autopilot. I'm not just reacting to things. I'm not just going through the motions. I'm feeling this. I'm experiencing this. I'm feeling this distress in my gut. I'm feeling this, you know, I've been having this. I'm, I'm worrying about this thing. So the first step is recognizing that we are not necessarily just at our baseline or that, you know, that, that something's going on. From that level of recognize, the next level of recognize is the step of being able to start asking ourselves, is this mine? So what I like to do, and this is like my fundamental basic thing, like this is the first thing I do when I, so after I've recognized, oh, I woke up out of sorts, I woke up feeling wonky and blue. What I then do is I put my hands on my heart, I take in a deep breath, and I ask myself, is this mine? Is this mine? Now, in my experience, like nine times out of 10, the answer is yes and. That there is a part of it that is about me that has gotten activated and triggered. It could be an ancestral legacy that is rising up to be healed. It could be a past life karmic thing that is 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 coming in so that I need more, I need to deal with something, or it could be an experience that happened in this lifetime that is, is getting pinged. But a lot of times there will be an aspect of something within me. And the reason why I'm experiencing so much empathic distress is because there's a frequency within me that resonates with whatever the distress is in the world. But then because there is that and then I start understanding that it's not just about me, that there is more to it. And sometimes the me part is maybe 10%. Sometimes the me part is 50%. Sometimes the me part is 80%. Sometimes the me part, rarely, but sometimes the me part is 100%. And the thing is that once I start understanding that, yes, I have my part, and then there's the other part, then what I ask is the second question, which is, what's mine? What's not mine?
And from that what's mine, what's not mine, I then have the information of what are the things that I need to address and clear? What are the things that I need to take responsibility for shifting? So like, for example, if I realize that there's this mindset thing that's coming up where maybe there was this old message of you're never going to amount to anything, who do you think you are trying this crazy thing now? My job is to release those old messages that are saying that. But if I'm around, uh, you know, other people, like I've had the experience of being at like um, business conferences for, you know, for woo people and transformational entrepreneurs, where all of a sudden I would just like feel like a fraud and start having this experience of feeling like a lot of self-doubt and a lot of like, who do I think I am? And like an incredible amount of low self-esteem and self-confidence stuff. And one day I was like, you know, the reason you're feeling this way when you went there feeling confident and fine and excited about your work is because you are surrounded by a bunch of highly sensitive empathic people who are really uncomfortable and in a very different stage in their business than you are. And they are not feeling confident. They are going through this. And so that's the thing. It's like, I've got that voice or, you know, and I'm just making this up in terms of the voice, but I've got the voice of the, who do you think you are? You're never going to amount to anything or one might have that voice. And then simultaneously you're in this event where there are all these other people with all of their stuff that's going on. And so in my experience, then we move to the place of release, which is I get to work on the pieces where that frequency is like vibing with me and where I'm resonating to it. So it's, it's yanking my chain. I get to dismantle all of that and dissipate it and take out the intensity on it. But then what I get to do about that other stuff is I get to go, not my circus, not my monkeys. I send this back to where it belongs. Now, I very consciously do not return it to sender. I don't send it, you know, like I send this back to you. I never say that. I always say, I return this back to or send this back to where it belongs because I don't know where it belongs. Maybe it belongs with the person who sent it. Maybe it belongs someplace completely different. But what I will do is I I will just really remind myself, like, this is not mine. This is not my job. This is not my monkey. This is not where monkeys. This is not my circus. This is not my crisis. This is not my problem. And it's okay for me to let it go. I I really love that. I love that there's actually a a process to find your way out of this and to release that because, you know, I, I think for people that are out there that haven't even taken that step one right? Um, That awareness, right? To be like, well, maybe I I am an empath. Maybe these aren't my feelings because everyone just assumes that what they feel is internal. So it's really warm, warming to know that there's, there's, you know, experts such as yourself that have a guidance system and um, that can bring us that awareness and bring us those steps. Because I'm I'm imagining as you're practicing this stuff, you're probably going to develop abilities and skills that may turn into being, you know, from the so-called curse of being an empath to perhaps a gift, able to connect with people. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the thing about, you know, the thing about being an empath is that 
And when I was first writing a lot of, you know, starting like pivoting from my, my wild 20 year business as a tattooer, where I was doing it as a healing art, that's a whole other story. But where, you know, when I was pivoting away from that, and I was starting to work on the book and starting to teach the material and starting to really put the word out there, one of the things I kept hearing again and again and again in social, like on, like all these posts that I put up on social media is I cannot count how many times I heard people refer to this as a curse, like that they felt cursed by this sensitivity, that they felt cursed by the amount of intensity that they were taking on. And I I just want to say sort of as a tiny little backtrack, this is a process. It is not a pill. And this is something that takes years and years and years to really get comfortable with that we come to know ourselves at deeper and deeper levels. And I was saying to you before we jumped on to the, onto this, the episode that, you know, I was just doing a masterclass the other day talking about the five steps of empathic mastery. And what I was explaining was that I was just realizing that for me, the trajectory started as like, First part of it was just coming into awareness of the impact of it and slowly, slowly, slowly developing this ability to understand the entire system of empathic mastery. And so I really do think that it it takes time for us to fully understand and integrate all of these pieces and to really learn how to live in a really different way. I love that. And one thing that I can say to to the audience is one thing that I've developed over my years of working through this. Um, and, and I did at once see this as a curse because what I, when I was younger, I used to hide myself away. I was like total recluse and I would just bury yeah. myself in, in video games. And just so I, I knew what I could control, I knew that that was what I could expect. I don't, I still to this day don't like big crowds. I don't like traffic. Yeah. Um, so you just learn to work through that, right? But one gift that has come up in all of this is that I really feel such a deep connection with people. And I'm able to like be that sort of pillar for people that maybe that they need to open up or they need to release and need to talk to someone that perhaps they weren't able to talk to someone in the past. And all these abilities within me, all of my and my psychic abilities have, have become and grown because of this because of this original sort of like curse, which is absolutely not, it is a gift, but you just have to work it out for yourself. And it's varied, isn't it? It's not just, okay, here's an empath level one. It's going to be different for everybody. It is going to be different for everybody. And a big piece of this is know thyself. And thank you so much for mentioning this, you know, the gift of it, because that was what we were talking about. And then I sort of went off on that tangent about, about, um, you know, sort of the other about the fact that this really is a process and us regarding it as a curse, but that, you know, the thing is that it really is our superpower because it allows us one to walk into any, as long as we are not emotionally agitated and we are not dysregulated in our nervous system and basically set off and in fight, flight or freeze or fawn, What we are able to do is discern what a situation is, whether something is appropriate or inappropriate, whether a person is somebody that we want to have a connection with or not. I mean, the way that I navigate all of the podcasts that I go on is that I feel the energy of the podcaster and I'm like, yes, this person is appropriate. No, this person is not appropriate. And 
you know, so one of our gifts is the ability to suss things out and to feel the vibe and to know things and to read people. You know, one of the superpowers of many empaths is that we can tell, we can spot a liar um, a million miles away. We know when somebody's bullshitting us, except narcissists. That's the one week that is our Achilles heel. And that is the one place where I find that that is the exception to the rule because there is a very fascinating, very interesting like feedback loop that happens between empaths and narcissists where they're they're both like, they're both high on the fumes. And so it gets, and that's one of the, because, and the thing is, narcissists believe their own lie so empaths believe the narcissists lie. Whereas if somebody's just a sociopathic liar, we know that. So that's one of our gifts is just that ability to read people, to pick up on the sense of, you know, what's going on. But the other part of it is our ability to empathize with other people, to recognize where they're at and what's going on with them and to be able to meet them where they are and give them love and support. That is absolutely a gift. And sort of the third level of this gift is the ability to start using our gifts to very deliberately, very consciously, and very precisely tuning in to what's going on with that other person, with their energy body, with their system, and use it so that we can actually be spectacular guides, coaches, teachers, healers, leaders. Um, I was interviewing somebody for my podcast um, that is probably not going to air for a while. Uh, but this this woman, Linda um, Polio, who, who worked, in, she's a total empath, channeled this amazing book, but she worked in advertising marketing and advertising for years and years and years. She was like the senior vice president of an advertising agency because as an empath, Linda knew exactly what people needed to hear in order to feel like this was the thing they wanted. And she was an, a genius at marketing. And so, you know, it's amazing what if we can, when we can tune in and use that ability to have our finger on the pulse of something in a healthy way that does not cause us to take on the pain, the thoughts, the feelings and absorb that stuff. But if we can use that ability to be aware, what we can then do is really go so much deeper with people, help them to understand themselves at a much deeper level. And we can also like often with a lot of my clients and even with like interviews that I do with people, I can pull threads out. I can pull information out for people. I can show them pieces that they didn't necessarily understand themselves. One of my favorite lines is you can read the label from the inside of the jar. And one of the things about us as empaths is we're really good at reading all the fine print on the label and sharing that information with people. But also if we're in a situation where energetically, maybe there's something that needs to be recalibrated or tweaked or adjusted, we often know exactly how to make a beeline for that one thing and and really allow it to shift. Oh, I love that so much. And it resonates so deeply with me because this is exactly how my life has sort of turned out into growing into my abilities and my skills and my my sort of my BS detector. And it's funny you brought up a narcissist, my old boss. Um, I'm an entrepreneur now, and uh, this is what I do. Um, he was 
the number one narcissist like on the planet. And it's funny because I would actually, when I was in his presence, um, and I, I don't, maybe it's like this for most people, like for, for the opposite. But when I was in his office or when I was talking to him, I would get the shivers. I would be so mm-hmm. physically uncomfortable being mm-hmm. around him mm-hmm. because I just, I, I don't know what it was, but I was just like, I don't like this person, right? Like a spiritual, I love everybody, but I, I, I just don't like this person. He just gives me the creeps. But, you know, that's what I find interesting is that, is, is that because I, I have been working on this for a long time or did I just get lucky detecting this narcissist? Because you say we're normally the Achilles heel of Well, of I guess what I would say is, did you recognize when he was lying to you? Or did you, I mean, it sounds like you absolutely felt creeped out by him, yeah. but did you buy his bullshit? Like, were there things that you found yourself I don't know, like trying to bend over backwards to accommodate. Well, it, it's it's like what, what I was saying earlier is like, I, I feel that I do, I, I'm definitely a deep empath, but I do get mm-hmm. feelings in my stomach as well. And so it's yeah. almost like I was this mixture. I got this feeling is like this. It's just not only did I not believe everything he says, I thought everything he, would, he, he was doing was wrong. And and I saw this guy as a fake leader. He's, he's not should mm-hmm. be in, in, in this position, especially what position it was. And it just, on every level, it was just screaming like, no. Um, and so well, I looked and- at it as my test really to, to sort of yeah. not, not really like treat him as, you know, who he was, but I, I, I was, I can he was one of the most uncomfortable people that I've ever had to be around. What are your thoughts on that? So, you know, as you're speaking about it, I have a real BS detector for, um, you know, false, like charismatic leaders and like false prophets. I, you know, like there's just something about them. I, I believe there's some karmic stuff connected to it for me. Um, I wasn't always the most like I, I, I've done some pretty dastardly things in previous lives myself. And so I think but um. I do think that there is this way that sometimes we really can be like, oh, yeah, wrong. Like we can sense evil. What I think happens, so to clarify, I think the romantic relationships with narcissists tend to be the place where we tend to not recognize the lie. And a lot of times that's because there's that kind of sexual component going on and that interaction going on. Whereas with a boss, you're just like, you don't have that emotional connection with them. So you're just walking into a situation. You're going like, good God, man, you are just full of it. Like, you know, yeah, like, but, but it's mind blowing to me too, though, how, how so many people get sucked into these kinds of bullshit artists, these people, I hope it's okay that I use, use that language. Um, You know, but that it's mind blowing to me when I'm like, looking at somebody who was just to me is a blatant scammer and yet or a con person and and looking at people who like buy them like just eat it up with a spoon i'm always like really really you're buying that and so i do think in some ways that is also a gift that we have as empaths something you said i wanted to clarify about which is that empaths are are often also capable of being psychic intuitive developing multiple clairs and even to be a medium or a trans channel. 
that we be that that it and that often we will receive information not like in multiple ways. And so one of the big challenges that I had to learn to work with was to distinguish between empathic overwhelm an intuitive hit or psychic, you know, psychic premonition about something and mental awfulizing projection perseveration that was completely like me contributing my own stuff to the anguish of that. And so it sounds to me like you were experiencing a combination of that and I personally find intuition lives in the solar plexus and the sacral chakra and the heart, that it's kind of in the torso, whereas psychic ability, in my experience, lives in the throat, third eye and crown. And empaths kind of is all through the entire body. But what I'm thinking as I'm hearing you is like, I think you were experiencing that intuitive gut sense about your boss, but then also as an empath, you're feeling the toxic evil, like this person was corrosive, like, like God bless, I wouldn't want to be your boss, like your boss was so miserable and trying so desperately to seem like they were okay. I mean, which I look at, I'll just say that so many of the people who are kind of like the world leaders who are kind of more in the dictator category, what's so fascinating about them is that almost all of them, their stories are like, they're like right about at the age of like five years old or like, or younger, but somewhere between like, you know, like toddlerhood to maybe seven at the oldest, they've been through so much neglect, so much abuse, so much denial. And, you know, and it's sort of like, there's these leaders in our world that I look at, and I'm just like, I don't see an adult, I see a five year old trying desperately to get love. And I just I'm imagining you know, that your boss was one of those five-year-olds who was so like just, and throwing temper tantrum after temper tantrum after temper tantrum. Because the other thing is, you know, there's a very fascinating phenomenon in human development that I learned when I was in seminary that was talking about bottom line, human beings are pack animals. We are creatures that need to be in relation with each other. And our foundational, fundamental survival is based on being within the tribe and getting support from the tribe. When is, so, so as a result, neglect is actually substantially, and abandonment is substantially more dangerous to the human psyche than abuse. So, for a small child, being ignored and what is called in psycho psychological terms disconfirmed is actually substantially more devastating to their psyche and their development and even to their lively to their existence, their survival, that is more damaging than being in an abusive relationship with a parent who is beating the crap out of them. So what happens for a lot of people when they are getting neglected, ignored, denied, you know, just like, like just, and just sort of pushed off to the side, they will act out because negative attention is better than no attention. And you can see this phenomenon with certain politicians who shall remain nameless, where you can just watch 
all of these behaviors over and over and over again, where they are acting out to get attention. And it's interesting if you like, you know, I haven't studied a ton of stuff about Putin, but it's really fascinating. Like this was somebody who was neglected, like he was ripped away from his biological mother. And then he was sort of like, sort of given to another woman. But like, there are these, these aspects of his childhood was awful. And it's kind of like, and I guarantee you, this is not a man who's done any trauma work or any, I mean, I can't guarantee you, maybe he has, but from the look of it, you know, considering that he's basically like, like what he has done makes me be pretty, pretty sure he hasn't done any trauma work, but it's in some ways, it's absolutely heartbreaking when you start looking at the ways that some of these charismatic um you know, like, like self-aggrandizing narcissists, like push their agenda. They become these bullies who push and push and push when really what they needed in the beginning was love and what they need now is love, but they need, they need fierce love. They need firm love. They need tough love. They need solid boundaries because they never got them. And you kick the can all the way down the road and, uh, you know, next thing you know, you're bombing Ukraine. You know, that makes so much sense. And, and you know, how, how you put that together, because when I look at politicians, when I look at CEOs, I, I just get a feeling of just an uneasiness of, oh, yeah. you know, it's not only a feeling in my stomach, just like, whew, but like you said, the hardest part is to, to give them that love. Right. Because a lot of well, and it goes back to the, you know, toxic masculinity and goes back to all of the ways that especially as males, I mean, you know, I mean, women talk about how awful it is to be female and like the impact of patriarchy and misogyny. And it and and it's horrible. Like there are many things that really deeply affect us. But I think we don't necessarily acknowledge that males have been imprisoned in the same system, like the patriarchal empire has done as much damage to males as it's done to females. And you guys are, in many ways, you have a lot more unpacking to do than we do because you were told that you were given, like, you guys, you guys were told that you guys were the winners and that you guys got the prize and that, you know, like, you're the ones who are entitled to all the things. And so it's almost like you were told, you were sold such a bill of goods that you have to, you know, that that if anything, I think males have to decolonize themselves even more than females and people of color and, you know, and people who are, you know, non-binary and gender fluid and trans. Like we've all had to, like, we kind of know that this is like a rigged system, but you guys were kind of raised into a system saying, hey, you are the winner. But at the same time, you're still in a situation where you need to decolonize yourself. And you look at these politicians and these CEOs, and it's kind of like they are like, 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 I don't know, like they're the the terminal point of toxic mas- masculinity. I always knew that this this system was broken even as a child. You know, I, oh, yeah. I, I definitely was a, I don't know if you want to call it a, an indigo child or something like that, but something along those lines, because I knew the system was rigged. I knew the pressure put upon masculine masculinity and, 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 and females and how just corrupt and foundationally corrupt it truly 
it utterly is. And to think that, you know, we're so programmed from such an early age, right? To, to think that, you know, this is how it is, that this is the world and you're put inside this box and you're set to go and you have all this expectation on you. Here, go, go and do what you need to do. And if you don't succeed, you're a failure. It's like we don't even get the chance to explore our inner world. We, we're always well, searching for validation. The, all the pressure to succeed, mm-hmm. to be an influencer, to have X number of likes on your on your mm-hmm. post, to have X number of followers, you know, like just the level of comparanoia that we've got in this culture and also the ways in which we just give ourselves so much crap about being good enough and just allowing ourselves to simply be like as mary oliver says in in wild geese it's like you know just let the soft animal of your flesh love what it loves and yet we are so disconnected so many of us were so disconnected or sold such a bill of goods and yet you know i was having a conversation with with a dear mentor and um colleague of mine, jo- Joanna Hunter, and she was just saying, you know, it's like, it, like we were talking about just sort of like money, the source of money, it doesn't matter where it comes from, necessarily, it's like money will appear, you know, and it's like, it doesn't have to come from your launch, it doesn't have to come from, like your business, it's like, as long as you've got food on the table, and you're able to meet your needs, it's like the universe will provide, stop trying to define it based on this human experience. And I think we get so caught up in this idea of how is it supposed to look that we we lose the we just lose so much joy in the journey. Totally. And and I, I totally agree with that. And I think one of the biggest things that I notice is that we're we're sort of being, I don't know, from the religious past, you know, uh People are oppressed that they've they've turned into atheists and they're turning away from the creator. And this is what I've been noticing for people that are really struggling. When you're kind of spiritually devoid and you really think it's all BS, you're going to have a lot more challenges than someone that's actually saying, you know what, I don't have all the answers. I'm going to look up at the sky. I'm going to look at nature and see the interconnectedness between us and our human being fellows and our interplanetary other beings. And find that, and and may it may be a a, a long journey, but I'm going to actually make an effort because there's obviously something going on here. It's not just what I've been told in this left brain world. There's a lot more going on, and I think when we actually start to really look inwards, we're going to find that 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 spiritual path, whether you want to call it God or the Creator or Source or Allah or Jesus or whatever you want to call. Yeah. That I believe is truly the key for everything, and I can tell my listeners out there that. This is what saved my life because if I was mm-hmm. actually pushed into a world and this is what I thought this was, this is all there was to it, I would have been like long gone. I would have gave up. But I, I, I sensed and I felt that there was something else going on, and hence this is where I am. And I can truly say that I'm the strongest and healthiest mentally and physically, emotionally that I've ever been. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I absolutely. You know, I was raised by atheists and I needed, I I knew I couldn't abide it. I just, I knew that it was not going to work for me to have no faith. And so I was a faith seeker from a very, very early age on, but I also really had a lot of baggage about religion as the opiate of the masses and a bunch of stuff that I had to overcome. But as you were speaking, I was just really thinking about like, I would absolutely not be here 
if it were not for the fact that there have been multiple times in my life where I would, I have been just like hitting bottom and where nothing is working and I don't have any answers and I do not know what to do, where all I could do is just get literally get down on my hands and knees and say, God, if you are there, I really, really need your help right now because I can't do this alone. I am powerless over this situation. And without you, I am screwed. And some of the most powerful, profound, like amazing experiences that I have had in my life where my faith has been just amplified have come on the other side of some of the hardest, darkest, most devoid of any sense of interconnection. Um, because I said, please, please, like that I reached out and I begged for that connection. And and I was re like rewarded isn't the right word, but I was they answered like they came back. And ask it really and you shall receive. Ask and you shall receive. And yeah. have faith in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's not just words. There, there's your intention is magic. It is. Yeah, it is. Well, and you know, if you're oriented towards Christianity at all, I mean, logos. Uh, like the Christ is also the word, you know, it's like he is the word of God. Um, and, you know, there's a really fascinating, like the literal word is words are magic mm -hmm. and words become manifest. Absolutely. I, I, I yeah. absolutely agree with that. And, and it's once we experience that, and I call it magic just to kind of encapsulate the whole idea of it. Yeah. But once we experience it for ourselves, there's nobody out there that can take it away from us. There's nobody out there that's going to influence you to say, oh yeah, maybe that was BS, right? Unless you're mm -hmm. an empath and you're, you, you pick up on someone else's feelings, but generally, you know, you're going to experience that and be like, wow, I am really interconnected with everything and I am part of the all. And my word is action. My word does have meaning and it's a wonderful journey. It's a wonderful experience and it's so healing. And this is what I think we're being sort of forced to see in ourselves with all of the stuff going on in the world, all of the crazy things that are happening, I do believe are meant to show us what's happening, what's really who we are inside and to guide us back home. All right. So all this chaos through chaos, there will be a, a new world rebuilt. And, and it's not about rebuilding and, and looking out there. It's about rebuilding ourselves, you know, from that foundational perspective that we are divine beings experiencing a physical existence. Yes. And I really believe that we are, we are shifting out of like, we, we are in the process of understanding more dimensions than we've had the capacity to understand before. Um, this July, I channeled a book. I went to this amazing writing retreat that my friend Nikki Starcat Shields runs every year. And well, we had to stop for the pandemic, but we, we, we've done it for a while. And I channeled a book over the course of a, of, of a week that was all about this, this journey, this evolution as a species and talking about the state that we are in right now, where my guides and the council of we were speaking through me and to me. And what they are saying, you know, it's like, we are in the process 
of coming out of a 5,000 year retrograde. We are in the process of coming out of a period of learning, learning what's wrong. <laughs> like we've, we've been making mistakes to learn from, but we are awakening as a species and we are, we are coming out of it. And it's like, it's messy, it's chaotic, but it's also a birth. And that we are birthing a new world right now. We are coming into a new world. But in, if any, you know, any woman will say, giving birth is not easy. Like, it's painful. It's messy. It's hard. It's scary. And I think that that's something that it's really important to keep in mind as we move through this time as a species is is knowing that this too shall pass and all but and also like recognizing like it's okay that it's uncomfortable it's okay that it's hard it's okay that you don't like somebody like i actually wanted to say that about that sort of like you know being spiritual does not mean that somebody who is lying through their teeth is somebody that you're supposed like you can you can have love for their humanity without having love for their ego and you know and that that's really okay so you know like just, it's okay to be uncomfortable about the journey we're going on. But something that that my guides kept saying or that they said and they reiterated and they're reiterating right now that they want to really like convey right now is that in the same, while there is all this misery, while there are all of these people who are struggling and suffering and having an uncomfortable time, as empaths, we tend to pick up on all this distress but simultaneously, there are people who are falling in love. There are people who have just hooked up with their beloved for the first time and having the most ecstatic orgasm they've ever had in their life. There are people who are holding their baby in their arms after they just gave birth to them and seeing this beautiful child. There are people who are at their weddings and looking in the eyes of their true beloved and imagining their future. There are people who have just completed a book and are thrilled with that. There are people who are moving their bodies and dancing. There are people who are winning gold medals in the Olympics. There are people who are just cuddling with a loved one. Maybe it's their dear, dear pet. Maybe it is their grandmother. Maybe it is a small child, but there are so, and I'm only touching the tip of the ice. There are people who are, who just found the most amazing thing that they've been looking for for 30 years in, in, you know, in the antique shop. There are people who are, um, having the most spectacular, exquisite meal that they've ever had in their entire life. There are people who are smelling fragrances that like make their hearts sing. All of this is going on simultaneously to the distress that is going on in the planet. What I, what, what my guides really kept saying is we invite you to tune into this. We invite you to feel into the frequencies of joy that are on your planet. And we also invite you to cultivate the frequencies of joy within yourself. Because this is what is going to stir around, you know, is going to turn the planet around. This is what is going to steer us out of the this trajectory towards the iceberg. This is the thing that is going to amplify the love, the light, the compassion, and the grace on this planet is by us giving ourselves permission 
to admit what our heart's desire is, to petition for, to pray, to set intentions for our heart's desire, and to give ourselves permission to do the things that bring us delight and joy. And this is something that as empaths, we often struggle with is like, well, how can I feel joy if other people are suffering? I guess what I would say is if you are not in harm's way, if you are not directly in the front lines going through that suffering, it's actually kind of narcissistic to keep on indulging in that suffering when you don't have to. And that if anything, sometimes our empathic abilities make it hard for us to have empathy because we get so sucked into the stuff that it becomes about us instead of about having compassion for what's going on in the world outside of us at the same time that we have profound gratitude for the safety of the life that we are living. I love that. That's that's a beautiful, beautiful thing to say. And I resonate with that even personally because, you know, I, I found my life very difficult um, for, for 20s, 30s, um, and truly at this moment, like I, like I said earlier, I'm, I'm, I'm really feel like I'm living my best life. I feel the most joy. Yeah. So it's about focusing and finding that joy within you and within those around you and, you know, do your best to have boundaries, to create boundaries that aren't bringing you that joy. And that may be hard yeah. at first because there may be patterns that we, we may have yes. families or, or, or friends that are sort of used to us, used to us talking in a certain way. So it, it does take a certain amount of courage to say, you know what, I need to do what I need to do to make myself happy. And that's not selfish. Yes. No, it is. Well, and you know what? What if we could say it is selfish and that's okay. That like part of our work is to, and or maybe, you know, like I'm selfish has so much negativity or connotations to it. That I, maybe the word might be better is, is this, a better word would be sovereign you know, that, that we, we get to be sovereign in our truth and in our heart's desire and in our unique direction that we are going in and that it really is okay. And that may mean that we piss people off. It may mean that there are people who are displeased with us that are frustrated because they can't push us around anymore, but that we get to do that. We are, we really are allowed to make that choice. And, you know, as, as you were saying, like, I think about childhood. I mean, how many times did you hear, oh, just eat your peas or eat your dinner or eat this because there are starving children in and name your country du jour. Like, I know that I was raised with this awareness of like, even in the best of circumstances, there was that reminder of the pallor or the suffering that was going on. And I think that that really does kind of cause us to like to to sort of like that somehow it would be selfish or it would be callous to just be in a state of joy if there's other people who are struggling. And and yet, you know, I learned I really had a powerful lesson with Ukraine, and especially when the war first broke out, I had this really interesting experience where I was really experiencing a lot of empathic overwhelm and a fair bit of bleed through. And I was mindful of it, but it was just, it's like what I've been finding is that as the intensity heats up on the planet, I've had to recalibrate my shields and sort of recalibrate my level of understanding of what's mine, what's not mine to a new, a new degree. 
but when the war broke out and there were all of those pictures of like people fleeing their cities and people with their dogs on a leash and their cats and cat carriers, all of a sudden I'm having these vivid images of myself walking down my main road in my town with my cats and my cat carrier and my dog on a leash. And I'm like experiencing it as if I've lost my home and I'm having to do this. And I really had to pull back. Like I really had to pull the reins on myself. And I really had to just basically be like, girlfriend, you are not going through this right now. You are privileged living in a very secure part of the world. You are, you have resources, you have a roof over your head, you are okay. You are not a Ukrainian. And it was really helpful for me to be able to recognize how my empathic sensitivity had been causing me to experience distress that wasn't actually mine, but experiencing it in a way that suddenly made it like it was my problem when it wasn't. And I really dialed back, you know, I really dialed that back and instead really leaned into the empathy and really leaned into the compassion, but also leaned into the profound gratitude for the fact that I am living in a safe part of the planet where my needs are getting met and where my dog is sleeping on her bed next to me. And I know you can see my cats are napping behind me and all is well. And it feels a lot better to be in a state of gratitude and awe for the grace that has been given to me than it is to be projecting myself into a circumstance and situation that I'm not even experiencing. You bring up such a great point. Um, I I truly resonate that. And I think it's just been normalized for us to carry guilt as human beings Mm. from our our childhood. Insane guilt. Insane amounts of guilt. And, you know, that energy does have consequences. And, you know, you have to sort of understand that you know like i know the word selfishness i should have said you know honoring yourself but mm-hmm. I, I i think there, there's a fine i don't want to say a fine line but you know having compassion for a group a person a country is completely different than saying you know like you said gratitude and honoring myself and and being so like thankful of where i am and, and yeah. who i am and and the road i'm on but i don't that doesn't need to take away from that energy of any of any of that to be like, oh, I should feel guilty, right? I do believe that everyone, every country, every individual are going through what they came here to go through. Like there there are no coincidences. So I I do also find solace in that as well. Yeah, yes. Well, and, you know, I really think that like guilt is an incredibly narcissistic emotion. Guilt is a very ineffective emotion. I mean, shame, there are times where there's some appropriate shame. Like there are times where if we're doing something that is really inappropriate, it is okay. Or it is appropriate for us to feel some discomfort, to feel remorse, to feel shame, to feel a desire to make amends. But I think so often guilt is falsely imposed on us. And all that it does is it draws us away from compassion and draws us away from the capacity to take action and to discern 
what is my job in this? What is it that I can contribute to? How can I help? You know, and like two of the things, like when Ukraine broke out, there were a couple of people who were like, there were a number of people who were doing like grassroots fundraising things where I was able to participate in stuff. And I was able to donate, you know, donate some resources that I, you know, that I had some surplus resources that I had to support these things. And, you know, it's like recognizing like, what can we do is a very, very different. But I think what happens when we're just racked up with guilt is that we are not choosing to, we we just don't necessarily, we're not as proactive or maybe we're doing something, but we're doing it completely misaligned and for the wrong reasons. And money, support, love given out of guilt is tainted. I, I absolutely agree. I just, I'm, I'm singing, I'm singing the praises here. I feel so, so much in tune to what you're saying there. And I think this is such great information for for everyone to, to to understand because this is sort of the game that is being played on a political and you know corporate level and this is how they get you even in marketing there's just there's just guilt everywhere so you have to learn to recognize it and step out of it so that you can actually honor yourself and on your path and with that the answers will come to you and you're going to start taking yeah. the right action yeah. the right steps yeah well you know, and i want to say something that goes back to something that you said earlier, but I just wanted to make a real, you know, kind of a little snapshot about this and just saying, I do think that age does help. <laughs> that I think that, you know, as you were saying, you're really coming into yourself. In my experience, as we get a little bit older, we get a little bit less concerned about what other people think. And the old, you know, that as long as we've been doing our work, we've been dealing with our trauma, there does get to be a point where we, you know, there are less F's given about all the other stuff. And so, you know, if somebody is listening to this and they are struggling mightily in their mid twenties, hang in there, little buckaroo, it really, really, really does get better. And time is part of the process like that this you know it's like we didn't get this way overnight we're not necessarily just going to instantly figure out the answer and that whole quick fix instant answer answer is also very much a part of empire capitalism patriarchy you know the sense of urgency but also the idea that you know like you're going to get the quick quick fix and unfortunately it's been fascinating, in my perspective, watching the influence of empire and capitalism and corporate greed coming into the transformational entrepreneur world and impacting so much of the ways that light workers are judging themselves and trying to fit into the rat race and make, you know, seven, you know, create seven figure businesses and all of these other things where it feels like they're getting pulled away from being guided by their heart because of some of this, like the propaganda that just has been seeping into everything. You bring up such a great point, and I can attest to everything that you just said. I'm I'm a living example of of you mm -hmm. know growing into yeah. myself and and being and I honor myself now. I never used to honor myself. I was like, why am I here? I was just always struggling, 
And I knew mm. that I was meant to mm. do something, but I'm like grasping at straws, but you, you're not going to find it out there. You're not going to find it in the way the world is designed yet. You have to find your truth from within. And there are experts, thankfully, like Jennifer and, and others out there that can help guide us. Um, especially the ones that are empathic to, to finding our true selves. And this is the time and it will get better as you experience yourself. And as you get to, you know, uh, use yourself and as an experiment um, in your life and, and to test, you know, your actions and, and, and your feelings and, and resolving them and watching how, how it all works and watching the magic, watching the synchronicities. Cause truly I look at every day as just a gift. Now uh, it, it's, it's a wonderful experience, you know, even the good and the bad. And I'm like, okay, what, what can I learn from the, the bad? And there's always something to learn. And when you learn quickly like that, when you learn that, that there's something in everything um, to experience, you know, you you can grow so much quicker and instead of resisting it, right? Like if, if, if there's something happening that's very difficult, you know, instead of you saying, no, I don't want this, you know, there's likely, and, you know, most likely there's something there for you to learn, um, to grow from. And then when you do actually accept it, okay, what is it? You're going to grow real quick, right? Like, you know, and, and so look at these challenges as a, an opportunity to grow, right? Instead of you being a victim or you being punished, look at them as a way for you to, um, to be who you're meant to be, right? Because I think these challenges are actually giving us that, you know, that conviction within, within us to be who we're meant to be. So when we're walking in the world, you know, it's we're going to be that that light that the world needs. So I want to say that, you know, um, as we're getting to that time, you know, it's been such a, a fascinating chat with with Jennifer and very deep. And my heart is seriously so warmed up right now. But we're coming to that time. I'd like to ask Jennifer, would, is there anything that you would like to say to the audience as you say goodbye? Oh, thank you. Well, first off, Greg, thank you so much for having me here because this conversation has been so delicious. It is just, it feels like a divine appointment that you and I were just destined to have. And I love the questions you've asked. I love, I love, I just, this has really, really been just so absolutely delicious. And just in case anybody hears drums in the background, I'm married to a drummer who just started playing his kit right now. Um, I don't know if you guys can hear it, but I sure can. <laughs> I think too not too much. That's good. So I think that if there was anything that I really wanted to finish with saying what it really, for me, what it really comes down to is love and acceptance. And that, you know, it starts with us loving and accepting ourselves. And then it makes it easier to love and accept the rest of the world and ex love and accept the world on its own terms. And we didn't get this way overnight. We're not necessarily going to suddenly get the quick, like instant gratification and like be like miraculously transformed immediately. But just know that you are perfect exactly as you are right now, that you are beloved of divine of of this universe that you are that you that and that the universe wants you to thrive the universe wants the best for you the universe wants you to give yourself permission to go for your delight and your joy and the universe actually i want to change that word the universe desires 
for you to go for your delight and your joy and and just like keep on keeping on if you are alive you're succeeding like if you are listening to this you made it you're still here just keep putting one foot in front of another thank you for that beautiful message i definitely oh, felt that my pleasure so yeah. i will be yeah. leaving the information for jennifer in the podcast notes so be sure to check out her website and her book um she is so full of wisdom and she can help so many people on this path and so please check her out again i want to say so much a thank you and gratitude to jennifer thank you again Oh, my pleasure. And, you know, empathicmastery.com will lead you to absolutely everything, in case you're looking. Craig, thank you so much for having me here. This really has been delicious. Thank you. Thank you.